Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. It's great to be with you all today. Hope you all are having a great start to the summer. Real quick, if you missed our previous podcast, we sat down with Mr. Morgan Housel and did an interview with him. He was in town for a CFA dinner here in Oklahoma City. So if you haven't had an opportunity to check that out, be sure and go back and give that one a listen. We were really excited to roll that one out. So today I have Candace Guy in studio with me. Candace, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Candace is our marketing and facilities manager. Today I'm going to have her kind of use her marketing brain. We're going to sit down and go over just some general questions to ask either your advisor, your current advisor, your future advisor, but maybe just some basic financial advising questions, I think is the way we phrased it. But this is really spun out of some stuff we've been doing recently, Candice. And so I'll let you fill the listener in. Yeah, we've had the opportunity the first half of this year to connect with various groups in the Oklahoma City area, whether going to them, them coming to our office for us to host. But we love to give an idea of who we are and what we do, but not only that, for them to be able to ask us questions on what they need to look at when they're going out into the world and starting their financial journey or prepping for that. So we sat down and talked about some things that we've heard back from them, and we wanted to get those out on the air to you guys in case you've had the same thoughts and questions. So we figured we'd do yeah, that today. It's such a good reminder for us. Various members of our team have been involved with these presentations we've done or these meetings we've had. And it's always fascinating, the ones I've sat in on, that it doesn't matter how sophisticated some of these business owners are, some of these entrepreneurs or some of these individuals, how these are some very bright individuals within their space and whatever they're doing. But there's just so much, at least in the financial industry, that I just think our industry just throws around these words and this jargon. And it's just a reminder that sometimes it is helpful, no matter how sophisticated of an investor you are, to just take a step back and go back to the building blocks. Let's look at it. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to jump right in here. So Candace built out a list of questions to ask a financial advisor. And so we're going to look at some of that. We're also going to go back and look at just some of the conversations we've had with these groups. We start from the most basic is how would you describe what a financial advisor is, Tyler? This one's funny because the more I thought about it, it gets answered a lot of different ways because anybody can call themselves a financial advisor or yeah, I'm a planner. The point being anybody can call themselves that. I think at the end of the day, what is becoming more clear is that with the more information an investor gets or an individual gets, the more picky they can be. And Mm -hmm. there's so much data out there now that the key is really sifting through all that, which is what I hope we do today. You've got people from a salesperson working for a large insurance firm all the way down to a full-fledged 100% fiduciary wealth manager, which is where I think we land and we'll get into that. And again, I think the caveat for this conversation that Candace and I are going to have is that we're not saying any of these are bad. Absolutely. I think there are, I know for a fact, there are good people in all of these different avenues. I just think it's important that we specify the differences. And I think it's really critical to understand the differences. Absolutely. That's what I was going to reiterate is there's all different types. It's just important to know what the differences are and what works best 
for you and what your journey looks like. That being said, what are some of the different type of advisors that people will encounter? How do they work with clients if we can break that down a little bit more? Yeah, so there's a handful. Like I said, you're going to start with, you've got your insurance, your annuity companies, and their goal is to sell you a product. Again, it might be a fine product and it might be meeting a need that you have, but their goal is to sell you a product that they will get paid a commission on and that product will, in the insurance and annuity world, will probably last for a certain period of time. You will pay a premium into it, most likely. It will offer to pay you some promised rate of return or promised income over the cycle of that product. The next stage will be your brokerage and wirehouse advisors. Think your big Wall Street firms, your large financial institutions that you just turn on the news, CNBC, Fox Business, any day you're going to hear about these firms, right? Right. They're going to operate, and this is important because we're going to get into this in a minute. They're going to operate under the suitability legal standard, okay? To compare that to the fiduciary standard, suitability is brokerage, wirehouse world. They range anywhere from, again, commission-based products. It could be insurance. It could be different types of investment vehicles that are commission-based, stock sells or bond sells that are commission-based, all the way to, yeah, they have fee-based business for sure. And again, there are great advisors at wirehouses. I personally started at a wirehouse. Mm-hmm. George Colmey in our office started at a wirehouse. Then you go from there, you've got you've got really the banks. If you're around here in Oklahoma City or if you're in Tulsa or surrounding towns, any of those banks probably have an advisor, somebody that would call themselves an advisor. Right. That uh, would at, help with that process. At those institutions. And so you're going to have those banking institutions that are regulated. Some are maybe by the state banking commission, some by the SEC. And then on the other end, you're going to have the registered investment advisors, the RIAs, which is what Full Sail Capital is. We operate under the fiduciary standard. And if I can real quick, because I know we're going to get into this, but a fiduciary simply means 100% of the time, every time we're going to act and operate in the client's best interest. So really at the end of the day, that's one of the big differences of the RAs and then all the other firms I talked about. Not that they're going to try to go about doing business in an untrustworthy way, mm-hmm. but we by law have to, we are regulated by the SEC as a fiduciary and we have to do it in our client's best right. interest. It's held to a different standard. Absolutely. So there's a bunch of different investment approaches within the RA space, which is where it can get confusing, but you're pretty much going to always run into a 100% fiduciary approach in the RA world. Now, at times, real quickly, there are some hybrid approaches out there where they can operate. They are an independent advisory firm, but they also have an insurance arm, for instance. And our CEO, David Stanley, always tells a story. They can put two different hats on. They can put their insurance hat on and sell you an insurance product. And they can put their fiduciary RA hat on and then kind of service you that way. Candace, I think that's a general overview of what we see. Absolutely. Thank you for going into each of those because I do think it can get a little muddled when people start looking into the idea of I need an advisor. I have an advisor. I wonder what else is out there. And so knowing that there are differences and each is held to a different standard and how they operate is very important to know. So I think that really leads us into the fact that knowledge is power. And so the best thing you can do is really go out and ask questions when you're getting to that point where you are looking for an advisor. Even if you aren't sure you're ready for an advisor, again, it's always nice to be prepared. So I think that's what kind of dives us into things that you should ask when you get to that part. And I think starting first and foremost is starting with describe types of clients with whom they work with. So what does that mean, Tyler? Yeah, I love that question because I really enjoy when we get asked that question, Candace, because it allows us to talk to a potential client on these are the types of clients we work with. And we'll be the first to tell you, which is why I like this kind of as a lead off question, that we're not a fit for everybody. Right. And we'd say that because we would love to work with everybody, Mm -hmm. but we have 15 people. We can't work with everybody. (laughs) So we have to be pretty specific on the types of clients we serve. So I think this is an incredible question for anybody out there, whether you've been with your advisor for 10 
10 years or you're just now starting out is find out the types of clients they work and your answer you're looking for or the answers you may receive are, I work with individuals and business owners. Some advisors only work with dentists. Mm -hmm. Some advisors only work with widows. So some advisors will only work with institutions. Some advisors will only work on 401k plans. So it's important you understand you don't want to be the one person that they're working with that is outside of their general realm of client. Right. So I think that's a good question. I'll Did we have any other, I'm trying to remember if we had any other follow-ups to this one when we were going over it. I don't think so. I think it was mainly just getting an idea of who they work with and it kind of shows a little bit how they operate. If they're working with numerous clients that you kind of see yourself in, you're like, this could be a good fit. I think it's just a great starting point. Like you said, we can't work with everybody. Being a client service-based company right. services everything to us. We flat out have to disclose on our ADV, which side note is a required disclosure that you can find on any firm out there. So as you're going through this search, we'll put a link to the site where you can look up these firms or these individuals. I think that's yeah, really helpful. Idea. But on that disclosure, not only do we provide data on the number of households and the type of households, we also have to put a stated minimum account size. And so our stated minimum is a million dollars. And we view that just so our listeners understand, that's a household level wealth amount, meaning we could be working with mom, dad, and the three kids, grown kids, and combined they've got, let's say 1.5 million. And so that is a household that we will work with because we feel like the fee that they will pay us from a fiduciary standpoint makes sense. Absolutely. Whereas somebody who has $20,000, we would love to help. We don't think it makes sense for them to pay us a fee. Absolutely. And I think that's very important to understand. It's, I mean, I hate saying no to people. And it's in the best interest of the client. Right. And we've got, we're continuing to build out some other avenues where we can help send some of these individuals right. that don't quite meet our minimum, or we just don't feel like we're the best fit for. Again, going back to that first question, they're not the type of client we typically work with. So we're continuing to build out that network of maybe partners, if you will, or. So I know we've touched on fiduciary, but this is a great question to ask who you may work with. Are they a fiduciary? What level are they held to? What are they being regulated by? But asking if you're a fiduciary to the potential financial advisor, that's a great question because it's going to really tell you something as far as like how they handle their business. Yes. I love the fiduciary question. It's a word in our industry that just gets thrown around. I don't know. What's another term in like the doctor world, but I don't, it's like you're talking to a doctor and they keep saying one word and you're like, you just keep saying that. I don't know what you're talking about. That's what it's like fiduciary is. It's just like a word we throw around. I agree. It feels like jargon (laughs) and we know what it means, but yeah. So really high level, you got fiduciary and suitability legal standards. Really put simply, if there are two equivalent investments and one is going to pay, and again, they're both appropriate for the client. They both meet a need, but one of them is going to pay a commission and the other is does not, the suitability advisor can choose the one that's going to pay them a higher commission or a commission at all. Whereas a fiduciary manager would have to choose the no commission product because that's better for the client. It saves them money. Now, this is our podcast, so I feel like I can say this. Okay. If you've ever bought a car, do you feel like the car people operate in a fiduciary world or a suitability world? Fantastic. I feel like it's the suitability <laughs> world, right? Yeah. Do you have to go through all the process of, do you want to add this on and add this on and add this on? And again, I love all of my car dealer people out there, but that's one of the easiest ways to explain it. If I walk in and say, I need to buy a car, they can try to sell me the most expensive car, the car that's going to make that dealership the most amount of money. So I feel like that's really an easy way. Yeah, it's a great comparison. 
We've all been in that realm, in that world. Again, just a high level there, fiduciary suitability, but that's really important for them to ask. Do they operate in the fiduciary legal standard or are they just held to that suitability standard? So I thought this question, when we were sharing this in front of a specific group, the response we got from it is what really makes me want to share this is when you're meeting with someone that could be a potential advisor or your current to ask if they've had any disclosures on their record, any marks against or anything like that. And what was interesting is the group we were in front of, they were actually surprised they had the ability to ask that. They had the power to do that. So absolutely, that is a question you should ask. It's a great question. And disclosures are not Google reviews. I cannot stand Google reviews really for a lot of different businesses because you just get somebody that's mad and then go on there and write whatever they want. The disclosures we are discussing here are tied to that ADV that we have to provide information to that gets disclosed every single year. And you can also go to a website where you can find out if any advisor that you're working with or any advisor in a firm you're working with has had disclosures on their record. And those disclosures could be anything from a slap on the wrist to a full-fledged co-mingling of client assets to hopefully they're not in business still, but you know I know advisors that have swindled investors out of millions of dollars and they've been barred from the industry. So you can ask your advisor, future advisor for disclosures. But yeah, that's a great question as well. Okay. So we can switch gears a little bit from people to the money side. Asking your advisor their investment philosophy. I get a little background on and how they operate and how they look at it to see if it matches how you feel or if you don't even know if they can explain to you what their approach is. Exactly. This is something that I've become probably more passionate over the years, at least of my 10 years of being in this business. But when you're looking at a potential advisor from everything we've talked about so far, knowing the types of clients they work with, are they going to line up with your thinking? And then are you going to agree with their philosophy? Now you may not care, but I think it's important to understand there are very different strategies slash philosophies out there in the investing world. Are they going to be, and I'm not even going to get into the right or wrong or which one I think is better, but I think having the knowledge to ask, are they picking stocks? Are they using only active mutual funds? Do they use ETFs, which are exchange traded funds. Do they time the market? Do they try to figure out based on technical research, whether they should get out of the market and go all to cash or stay in the market? It's things like that that are Mm -hmm. important to understand. You may love the advisor you're talking to. You may love the person, but if you're not on board with the philosophy, you're going to be very unhappy. Absolutely. If you want them to beat the S&P 500 by 5% every year, one, they're probably lying, but two, they're probably doing something that is a bit more active strategy and maybe a bit more risky, if you will because they've got to take on more risk to earn that premium in return. If their philosophy is, hey, we're just looking to be maybe, I don't know, 75% of the market return and the otherwise we're going to sit in cash, you may be severely disappointed because they're going to be too conservative. So it all ties in or leads into, you've got to start identifying what are your goals for your money? What are your goals for your wealth? And does their philosophy and their strategy line up and help you meet those goals? I go back to something that I can't remember if Morgan said it on the podcast, but I know he talks about it in his book, but play your game. You want to be with an advisor that is going to help you play your game, meaning you're investing for a specific set of goals or you're investing for your family. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the family next to you is investing like or what your neighbors is doing. Heck, we could have let off with that. Don't go out and talk to your neighbor about what they're doing and compare your notes. The comparison trap is miserable in all things in life, especially money. Absolutely. That actually kind of sides 
sets me just hearing yeah. you walk through that. Just about the relational side of having an advisor. You should be able to pick up a phone and call and share your concerns, share your goals. If those are things that you haven't done with your current advisor or you don't feel comfortable enough to, I would reevaluate and say, you know what, I've got to be on board with this. We have to have the ability to communicate in a way that's meaningful and that allows me to feel comfortable with what is going on with my money. And so I think that kind of segues to how often would one communicate with their advisor? This is an awesome time to kind of shout out our client service team because there's nothing that I appreciate more or I value more than when I get a call from a client and they tell me, or I'll give you an example. I get a phone call and they leave me a voicemail and I can't get back to them quite yet. I'm tied up in a meeting or maybe I'm out of town. And by the time I call them back, they've already talked to somebody at the office. One of the girls has already taken care of them. They're already on top of it. That from an advisor's seat, that is incredibly valuable and something that I know we have really really strive to make a point here with our service. And I hope our clients feel that. But so side note, shout out to the client service team. They're incredible. Absolutely. How often we communicate is important. You need to know how many times during the year you're going to be able to sit down with your advisor face to face, talking mm-hmm. in the seat, if you can, if you're in the same town as them and have a face to face discussion. How easy are they to reach? What is their turnaround time? One thing I really try to do if I can, and most of the time I get it right, not 100%, but most of the time, I feel like everybody in the office does is within 24 hours of a client reaching out or sending an email or leaving a voicemail, at least acknowledging I've received the email or I've received the voicemail and I'm on top of it. I'm looking into it. I'm going to call you back and give them a time because the worst thing I think a client can feel is, especially if they're concerned about the market or they're getting nervous or they have, you know, that something's come up and they need to talk to their advisor, you need to know that they're going to be able to have the capacity to respond. Absolutely. And so I think that's big. I think it speaks to our team approach. Going back to, we talked about describe the types of clients you work with, describe your team. There are a ton of just small teams, there's large teams, there's individual advisors where you only have one person to talk to, maybe a support person, that's it. You have large teams where you've got maybe too many people to talk to. You don't know who your point of contact is. I think it's important to know that at least the way we're set up is if something were to happen to me, and this is one of the reasons why I was real passionate about moving and finding a team that I felt comfortable with was I wanted my clients, I wanted my family to know that if something ever happened to me, they've got a whole team of people ready to step in and talk to them. Absolutely. And that's the way we operate here. Yeah. If I'm working with a client and they need tax advice, and if you've been around our firm, you've heard this spiel, but if they need tax advice, I can go get Stacy. If they need maybe a legal estate document reviewed, I can get Max or a trust document, I can get David. Or they need a real estate deal reviewed, I can go get Scott. Like we can bring in anybody at any time and none of us internally are worried, are they going to pick off my client? That's just not how we work. And I think that's a big difference. Absolutely. One thing that I say we just touch on just because I do think this is important to know is when talking to an advisor, just make sure you know how they're compensated, whether it's fee-based or based off of a commission or whatever that is. Know what that is. Know that you feel comfortable with that, knowing that there's some different options across the board. So I'll let you speak to that a bit. There really are. Let's say over the age of 50, when you probably started investing, there was really one avenue, which was a commission-driven avenue. You had a stock broker. You didn't have an advisor. 
you had somebody that would maybe call you with a stock idea or maybe would call you with a bond idea and they would sell you that bond or sell you that stock and buy it for you. They'd make a commission and there was only a way to get access to the market. So let's just say it was a great deal. It was a great purchase. It was a great idea. Times have changed and now you're no longer only bound to this sales commission driven approach. You have a lot of different ways of gaining access to the market and ways of working with an advisor. I think the biggest or maybe your top three would be commission driven. I think then asset based fee. So you're paying a fee based on the assets that that firm is managing. I think the third one that's becoming, I wouldn't say more popular, but it's becoming a little bit more prevalent would be just a planning based fee. So it's not based on your assets. It's just based on maybe time. Think maybe legal world as far as hourly hourly rate. I've seen that become more popular. I don't think there's a right or wrong. If if somebody only wants to buy a couple stocks and never ever touch it, then you don't need to pay an asset-based fee on that right. those three stocks. Right. You just need to pay a broker to make sure those stocks aren't going bankrupt or whatever. And mm-hmm. again, that goes back to the philosophy. It's not the philosophy we believe in, but so those are the three, I would say the three most common of those three though, you know what you're paying. If you're paying a percentage of assets, if you're paying a commission, you may not know how much commission you're paying, but you're paying a commission of some amount. And then you'd probably know your hourly rate or planning fee or whatever. The other side in more of the after dark of the industry, if you will, is the hidden fees or the underlying expenses of the investments you're buying. There are expenses embedded in a lot of these products because the funds that we're buying or the ETFs that we're buying, they have people they've got to pay too because they're the ones putting the fund together. So active mutual funds tend to be the more expensive ones. ETFs like we use have expense ratios below 10 basis points on many of them. I think our average basis point as of today is somewhere around 11 or 12 basis points. Again, here I go throwing out an industry jargon. (laughs) So real quick, Financial 101, if you are paying 10 basis points, you're paying 0.10%. Why that matters is because those expenses that are embedded in those funds eat into your return over time. That's why there's always a gross return and a net return. The net return is after all expenses. Okay. So that's a key difference there to remember, but that's a really good question. How do you make money and what does this cost me? I think are kind of hand in hand, hand in hand, right? Conflict of interest is huge. Real quick here, I think if your advisor is at a firm that has proprietary funds, What I mean by that is they work for the company that may be also managing a fund. It may be a great fund, but you have to understand there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there because that also benefits the company to put you in that fund. And I'm not going to pick on any, but unfortunately this does happen and it's an expense the client really never sees. That might be another good question is, do you have any proprietary funds? Yeah. One kind of sub question I liked is, do you invest your own funds alongside with your clients? And that's something that I love getting asked because here at Full Sail Capital, every single employee has funds invested the same way our client does. And whether it's through our 401k plan or through an employee's individual accounts, at some variation of a model that we're using with clients, we are also using ourselves. And that I think is very important. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm sitting alongside next to my client saying, I'm in this model mm-hmm. or I'm at least aligned with the same philosophy as what you are seeking. And I can tell you, here's why I believe in it. I think one that I was just going back to is the measurement of success. I think asking what that is to your advisor, but also knowing what your answer is, is very important. Again, this goes back to that communication side of what are your goals? So I would just say that is a question that you definitely want to ask the advisor. That way you know that you guys are both on the same page. It's such a good question because I think this really... At the end of the day, it's maybe one of the most important questions. Yeah. 
because you want to know how an advisor or how a firm is measuring themselves mm-hmm. because it's important and we do it. We have a, we have benchmarks that we follow. We have risk reward plots that we try to make sure we're appropriately investing clients money. But I think that how do you measure my success? The answer should be, well, in my opinion, what are your goals? And if we are accomplishing those goals, then you are successful. And I think this goes back to a little bit of the play your game, don't compare. Everyone has different goals. A 65-year-old widow is going to have different goals and a different measure of success than a 35-year-old married couple that is just beginning to start earning some discretionary income where they can invest. Those are two different goals right? and two different measures of success. So I think it is important because I think it allows an investor, an individual at the end of the day to sit down and go, what are my goals? What would I like to accomplish? Do I want to leave money to the next generation? Do I want to leave money to charity? Do I want to teach and engage my children, my grandchildren? That's really how you should measure success, in my opinion. Yeah. And not, did I beat the market every single year for 30 straight years? That'd be awesome. That'd be important. But let's look at a year like last year. I've had this conversation multiple times, as you can imagine, because of the market last year. And I always say, did your goals change? Did your time horizon change? Are you making any more, any less money? And depending on the answer to those questions, then we should do nothing to your portfolio because it's been invested appropriately based on the goals we have set for you. And I just think right or wrong, that's the approach I take. I think that's the approach a lot of our advisors take is it's got to be specific to the individual. So Tyler, just finishing up, I think something that is always a, a feel good to know that it's a good fit would be to ask a potential advisor, what do you like most about what you do? Mm-hmm. That's such a fun question. And it's something that I think my answers continue to evolve. But for me, I think the thing I love the most, the meetings that I enjoy the most are when you've got fully engaged individuals sitting across from you. And so there's a couple of things here. One, if you're not married and you're single and you're doing this, then you're finding somebody you trust. It's just you and maybe you're sitting down with a parent's advisor and you're trying to figure out if you want to work with them as well. But if you're single, it's you and it's on you and you're trying to go through it. So again, I think it's important to trust whatever individual you're sitting across from. If you are married, this is where I think it's vitally important that both spouses are a part of these meetings. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but in my opinion, you're talking about something that's so important that you want to be on the same page with. And it is surprising to me how many times it's one of the individuals in a relationship that are coming in. And it's not right or wrong, but I love being able to engage both spouses. I love when we can come in and we sit down with the parents and the kids. I sat down with a third generational business owner who brought his daughter in with them. And that was going to be the fourth. That is, that's incredible to me. I love that. So the best part to me is the relationships. I love that. And I want to have relationships with our clients. I think all of our advisors here at Fulsa want to have relationships with our clients where they're lasting. They'll call us anytime. They're never scared to call us or worried to call us. They know that we will have their best interest in mind and they know that we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that we're helping them meet their goals from a wealth management standpoint, a generational wealth transfer standpoint, whatever it may be. By far, the best part of our job is the relationships. Everything else falls into place. But yeah, that's definitely my favorite. I love that. I think that as we come to a close, that's ultimately the peace of mind when people Mm -hmm. come in and it doesn't just stop with them. We're here for the generational side that we can continue as we continue to build those relationships. No, no doubt. I think this was super helpful. I think we could probably sit down here another 20, 30 minutes (laughs) and keep going through or diving in to some of this even deeper. But I hope the listener understands. Candace and I really just wanted to give everybody kind of a high level overview 
of these are some questions or some topics or some ideas to have in mind when you're talking to your advisor. Absolutely. Um, the feedback we've received from the groups we've yeah. talked to this year, that's not lost on us. We want to be able to provide information, whether it's about us or things that can empower people to get information from who they're working with. So we're really happy to sit down and be able to provide this information in a way that is conversational. I think what sticks out to me is whether you're starting out and you're putting $100 away into an index fund or you're investing through your company's 401k plan all the way to maybe a full-fledged multi-million dollar family office and we're working on philanthropy and transferring that generational wealth and maintaining it and managing it. These questions apply all across the whole spectrum of those individuals. So if anything we said today or any question we brought up, if you have other questions, feel free to let us know. Shoot us an email, reach out, give us a call. We're more than happy to dive in. I think at the end of the day, one of the best things we get to do is just give second opinions. And like I said at the very beginning, we're not afraid to tell you're in a good spot. You shouldn't do anything. There's nothing wrong with your account. There's nothing wrong with what you're invested in. We'll tell you that. Absolutely. Candice, I appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for all your marketing efforts. Absolutely. If you follow us on LinkedIn, Candace is the reason why it looks just so amazing. So <laughs> good job, Candace. <laughs> Thank you. And again, if you missed the last few episodes, both Chuck Wigan and Morgan House will go back and listen to those. We've got some fun ones on the horizon for this summer. So stay tuned there. But as always, we appreciate you listening. Have a great rest of the week and we'll talk again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.